this week we are doing something a little bit different from our regular episodes. We've got a little mini-sode for you to break up the, the monotony of quarantine. Uh, in this week's episode, uh, conveniently titled The Mini-Muse, the Mini-Muse. Um, we are going to be taking it in turns each week uh, to talk about subjects on a more broader level. So not necessarily one woman like we've been doing in our previous episodes, but so we're going to talk about women in a certain field or women in companies that you've heard of doing cool things um so in this week's mini-sode the mini muse um i am talking about women in literature um so this is an area that i'm really passionate about um and it's something that i hope you guys will find interesting too um Particularly for this episode, I'm talking about female authors who used male pseudonyms. Because um, she's going to show how much of a literary snob she is. Yeah. I'm going to apologise now, <laughs> but I, there's no shame there. Um, so, if you don't know, um, many female authors um, use male pseudonyms over um, history, even up till like really, really recently. So, J.K. Rowling recently. Um, she has her pseudonym Robert Galbraith. Um, so partic- I want to particularly talk about when there was a lot of contention between gender and literature, um, which was way back in the 18th and 19th century. So have you ever heard of George Eliot, Siobhan? I have, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So have you heard of Michael Field? No. Interesting. Um, So George Eliot was one of the greatest novelists of the 19th century. Um, Many of you probably have one or two of his books on your bookshelf. He he wrote Middlemarch, Silas Marner, The Mill on the Floss, Daniel Deronda, all really, really big, famous books like that. Um, Most of the novels are set in like the pastoral countryside settings, which were known to be really realistic and have psychological insights. But did you actually know that George Eliot is a woman called Mary Ann Evans? No, I literally didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay. Um, So Mary Ann Evans, she previously worked as an editor for like a literary magazine um, and she was like a critic as well. So there's a couple of reasons why she decided to use a male pseudonym. So the first one was to kind of break away from her previous career as an editor and a critic um, and to forge a new career where she didn't have the kind of boundaries of, you know, her criticism to inform what people thought of her new works. Another reason, which is probably the main reason that women use pseudonyms at this period was because there was a lot of sexism surrounding novel writing at the time so a little bit of background if you don't know Mm in the 18th and 19th centuries um, serious writing stuff that's in the literary canon was uh, often left to men they thought men were more intelligent women less intelligent so the men could write about science philosophy religion all topics related to the enlightenment um and they also could write great poetry and art so like high forms of art whereas women weren't classed as kind of intelligent enough to do this 
as well as their their role as a as a woman being in the home you know the the mothers you know maybe do a little bit of like teaching as a governess but they weren't really classes they couldn't produce the great art that all these men had done men like um wordsworth and coleridge men like mm-hmm. um leonardo da vinci you know like all the great men over history um so the women yeah there there was like a field of like literature for women but it was low kind of art so it was kind of soap opera style romances where you know uh, there's a damsel in distress and then a, a strong man comes and saves her and marries her <laughs> so pretty pretty you know parlor stories that ladies could read you know yeah. to escape from their their lives a little bit um so it was it was lesser fiction it wasn't like you know sublime poetry about the mountains and the philosophies of life it was like nothing like that and a lot of women felt that their talents um were being restricted because of this they like naturally obviously they knew that they could do the same thing um and they could quite like obviously match their like male counterparts however the stigma was still there fair enough they could write great art but it wouldn't be taken seriously by the men who ran like the critical circles they they ran like the literary um salons and things like that um not the same as a as a hair salon just just so it's clear. <laughs> just um, just to clarify <laughs> we've all seen oscar wilde's great hair mm. however a literary salon is not the, <laughs> not the same thing um another reason though was because women were unable to sign contracts in their own right at the time mm-hmm. and so it meant that they couldn't get published because they couldn't sign a publishing contract um without a husband's permission um, it's like they couldn't own property, you know, all these, all these yeah. things that kept kept women down in in the kind of in the older times. <laughs> so that's like a couple of reasons why women um, used pseudonyms, or they would use like ambiguous names. They just use their initials. Yeah, um, I was gonna so say, I, like... I feel like you you would hear of female authors using their initials more. Like you mentioned J.K. Rowling before. I mean, mm-hmm. any a lot of female well, authors I can in, think in of itself. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of female authors, I can I can think of off the top of my head, use initials and then surname. Um, I I would have found that quite to be quite prominent, but not necessarily completely different names. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the stigma kind of it does still pertain, I think, to like twenty twenty first century. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, um, so I mean. All many of the like the biggest female writers would publish under male pseudonyms or under like their initials or just really ambiguous. So, um, for example, um, the Bronte sisters, mm-hmm. Emily, Charlotte, and Anne, they um, all published their first volume of poetry under male pseudonyms. Um, so, um, Charlotte sent that volume of poetry to the poet laureate at the time robert southey um who responded to her saying literature cannot be the business of a woman's life so right just, it's just immediately cast down yeah you know 
who we the people we would class as some of the greatest writers in history now mm. it's it was just passed off because they yeah. it wasn't considered their thing i was gonna say that's the he's talking to one of the the biggest names you can think of in literature and yeah that's if that's you go crazy. Up to the average person in the street like have you heard of Robert Southey? No. Have you heard of Charlotte Bronte? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So who's the real exactly. winner here? Well, exactly. If only she knew that at the time. That would have been some, just, you know, some... Uh, the icing on the cake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so Jane Eyre as well. Jane Eyre was first released under the pseudonym Curra Bell. Um, so it's a bit of an unusual name, but it's certainly not a particularly feminine name. Um, and it was mm-hmm. received really, really well critically and was reprinted within 10 weeks. So it was topping the literary charts, you know, would have would have won a Booker Prize if it was um, if it was released now. However, when it was revealed that the, the real author was a woman, the reviews were absolutely damning. Um, and it was <sighs> like it had so much backlash because um, it was completely against the standards of 19th century society um the book was like shunned it was described even as dangerous and improper and as an anti-christian book which is mad to go from (laughs) rave reviews from the critics and then to suddenly being dangerous improper and anti-christian it just shows the kind of level like the the, that's literally madness the binaries of um public thought so i want to get on to michael field this person went mm-hmm. to pretty drastic measures to hide who they were because they weren't actually just one person, they were two. Mm. So they were um, Catherine Harris Bradley and her niece Edith Emma Cooper. Wow, um, okay. Yeah. So in their whole career, they wrote 25 dramas and 11 volumes of poetry. So they wrote loads, absolutely tons. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, they had um, one of their closest confidants was um, the poet Robert Browning, so another huge um, name in the Romantic period. Mm-hmm. So Bradley, um, Catherine Bradley, wrote a letter to Robert Browning um, talking about how they were going to adopt a male pseudonym because they wanted to dismiss drawing room conventionalities and say things the world would not tolerate from a woman's lips. <laughs> they um, didn't hold any punches back with their. Uh... The justification there. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think this is a big thing. Like, you could say and you could have so much more of your kind of thoughts, your discussions, your kind of explorations taken so much more seriously if you were thought to be a man. And it's mm-hmm. just like, this is it literally there on the page. It's peak sexism. Yeah. Um, And they fully understand it. But in order to push for women to get more rights in terms of, being taken seriously you know they've got to have a male pseudonym they've got to kind of play to it a bit yeah. just so they can then shove it back down all the men's throats in the end um interestingly Catherine bradley and edith cooper were actually thought to be lovers um which is one of the reasons why they're they're so interesting because it's not it's never really confirmed um as to whether they were like actual lovers or whether their relationship was romantic. Um, because it's generally accepted that they spent all their time together. So they would write, they would travel, live, um, and probably sleeping with each other. <laughs> I'm not sure. Probably. Um, yeah, strange. 
Um, but it was that this kind of all meant that their writing relationship was really, really unique mm-hmm. um, because they quite literally finish each other's sentences. They would pick up where one had half written a line or they'd finish a scene um, and they would quite like inhabit each other's kind of writing when they would come to edit together. So mm-hmm. where one could um, improve and um, advance a scene or a character or a conversation, you know, they trust each other enough to be brutal enough to to cut it down, mm-hmm. you know, to to take away any of the fluff that wasn't needed. So they actually had quite distinct um, voices, mm-hmm. which is shown in their in their letters, in their journals, um, and on the Poetry Foundation biography of them, um, they write about how um, Cooper had a really shy demeanor. She had aesthetic sensibility and Charlotte Bronte-esque torment, whereas mm. Bradley had an arrogant vitality, earthy energy, and a large ego. So they're quite in opposition to each other, but they yeah, yeah. the fact that they were able to, to work so kind of fluidly and uniquely together in order to produce one pretty coherent voice in Michael Field that people didn't know People, people quite happily accepted that it was one person because why should they think yeah. any different? That's crazy. And it's really, it's really interesting. As well as trying to challenge the notion that women couldn't write poetry and wouldn't be taken seriously yeah. in the literary world, they also tried to challenge the idea that two people couldn't write together. So it was generally accepted that poetry was so internal and um, kind of true to the, the soul mm-hmm that it had to be kind of one person, it had to be really individual. Um, and so the idea of two people, it was kind of incomprehensible. They met Thomas Hardy and uh, Theodore Watts Dunton. Um, and she, uh, Bradley had said that um, both the men found it inscrutable, incomprehensible, that two people could write poetry together. Mm-hmm. So that was like a big thing as well. And um it was a problem when they were actually um, accidentally outed by Robert Browning um, because once it was revealed, one, that Michael Field was two women and obviously that they were two people instead of one, mm-hmm. it opened them up to so much um, criticism and scrutiny from the public that like they hadn't had before. Um, and it's similar to the kind of scrutiny that um, all the Brontes got when they... Um, release their their works but mm-hmm. essentially like people would try and find out who'd written what line and like who deserved more credit and um, it kind of reduced it to kind of like a who done it yeah who wrote what line and also because um, all that they've been saying because it was very romantic and if you read it it's very um, almost sensual um, which is stuff that was when it's attributed to a man, it's talking about the the sublime beauty of the female form. Whereas when it's from a woman, it's not mm-hmm. taken seriously. It's it's kind of strange and subversive, um, which was like not really accepted in in society. It it meant that their their poetry and their messages were like really diluted and appropriated by their critics. Mm. Um, and so, even though they've been celebrated for what they wrote posthumously. Um, it meant that at the time they 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 kind of um, they lost a lot of the the acclaim that they were building mm-hmm. um, in like literary kind of world 
so yeah it's just crazy like yeah just insane that they that they just lost all that sort of um prestige and stuff because yeah just simply because they were women um, i know i get what you mean about how the obviously the argument that there's two of them as well but um how much of that is the fact that it's two women as well rather than yeah, just 100%. a man and a woman or two men or whatever so yeah, yeah. that's crazy well, i mean wordsworth and coleridge wrote the lyrical ballads together so i mean yeah but it didn't hurt their yeah, career. Yeah, didn't did hurt it? them, did it? So yeah, um, I I probably agree with you. I think it's largely because they were women, um, mm-hmm. and it was just such a scandal that two women could be, you know, so close to each other and also to be writing poetry like they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is women uh using pseudonyms uh, in literature that's kind of one topic that i wanted to talk about because i think it's really interesting yeah. there's a lot of obviously great writers in in the canon who you think are men but actually are, are women and they deserve their praise i'm baffled yeah for that yeah mm-hmm. um it's just really interesting it's, it really highlights the kind of um attitudes towards um women and towards also like literature like it wasn't deemed high art and when you think of like nowadays we think of literature as like pretty pretty high art you know when you think of especially the the canon like the old canon you think of like dickens and you think of um well you think of the brontes but it's considered that is high art now yeah absolutely whereas at the time it was considered so much lesser trivial just kind of you know romantic parlor things but um that you know that you'd read and it didn't mean anything Mm -hmm. but it's so it's a really interesting kind of way to see how attitudes towards women have changed and also attitudes towards um the novel as a form of writing so yeah that's why i wanted to tell you all about it um so i hope you found that interesting it was really interesting yeah i enjoyed it i don't know i hope the listeners did too but i really enjoyed that that was really interesting yeah um yeah i think if you if you look it up like there's so much to read like there's so much to find out about um like so many different people online like you'd be surprised at how many there were yeah no that that is yeah crazy that i completely agree with these women as well now are the literary canon to what we read in you know school and what you study and and i mean i'm gonna say the majority of my like Mm -hmm. gcse's a levels were books written by women and and poems by women and so it's kind of um crazy that they had to go to these lengths to get stuff published in the past so yeah no really interesting i really enjoyed that helen yeah good cool well um we'll be back to our normal full length episode next yeah. time um so next week and then we'll have another little uh mini muse episode the week after yeah uh, in two weeks yeah. time so we're gonna have uh, um so we'll see you then every two weeks so uh, normal episode bi-weekly and mini muse bi-weekly um and yeah that's the st- structure for now and then we'll see hope you enjoyed yeah. let us know um as usual feel free to keep sending us um uh people that you would like to be covered for our um 10th muse mm-hmm. uh full episodes um at uh, you can email us at um 10th muse podcast uh no is that right she's nodding okay yeah uh, at, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah 10thmusepodcast at gmail.com and then at 10thmusepod on instagram and twitter
yeah and then if you've also got any suggestions for our mini muses if it's a woman that you something we might do in the future is women that you will have heard of but something about them that you've not heard of so if you've got any interesting stories of famous women or or you know women through history that you think oh but people don't know that she did this then let us know because that's something we might explore as well um and yeah we will see you in two weeks time for one of these and next week for a normal one see you later bye hope you're staying sane in quarantine (laughs) bye